Hi, I'm Mark Boucher. On this week's episode of The Space Economy, I speak with Chad Anderson, a managing partner at Space Capital, an early-stage venture capital firm who invests in the space economy. Space Capital recently published their Q3 2020 Space Quarterly Report, and today, Chad and I will discuss some key points from the report, touching on changes to the methodology, COVID-19 and its effects on the space economy, special purpose acquisition companies, or SPOCs, and China. But first, a word from our sponsor, MDA. Serving the world from its Canadian home and global offices, MDA is an international space mission partner and a robotics, satellite systems, and geo-intelligence pioneer with 50 years of experience developing custom technology solutions to some of the world's biggest challenges. Today, they are leading the charge towards viable moon colonies, enhanced Earth observation, communication in a hyper-connected world, and more. To learn more, visit mda.space. Once again, mda.space. Five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Okay, let's get right into it. Welcome, Chad, to the space economy. Mark, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, so you've just released the Q3 2020 edition of the Space Investment Quarterly. Uh, now, before we actually go into some of the specifics of the report, I, I did notice something because I have this the Q2 report and some of the other reports. Um, I wanted to go into the methodology in the report, and uh, in looking at the Q2 report, I noticed that there's some changes uh, from the Q3. Uh, for instance, um, in the Q2, you're reporting data from 2000 and. Um, uh, investments since 2004, but in the Q3, it says investments from since 2009. So before yeah. we get into the specifics, how about uh, a little bit of background on why you changed uh, the methodology uh, for the report? Sure. I'll even take it a step back further if you'd like and tell you why we do this report in the first place. Okay, perfect. Um, so uh, when I um, decided to get into the space business, um, uh, it was back in 2012, and there wasn't a whole lot of entrepreneurial activity in space or investment in entrepreneurial space companies to speak of. So um, there was really SpaceX. They had just broken the deadlock uh, the defense contractors had um, on launch. Uh, they had their first successful commercial launch, launch of a commercial customer in 2009. And in 2012, they burst with the space station for the first time. Um, and it wasn't really, you know, until 2013, we started to see the first companies taking advantage of this increased access to space. So we saw Planet and Spire and some others you know, start to use small satellites to take advantage of this low-cost increased access to space. And so that's really, you know, those are the first pioneering companies in the space economy, um, particularly on the infrastructure side. And so um, when I was looking at getting into this uh, in 2012, uh, there wasn't a lot of proof points. So I needed data to, you know, I was seeing what's happening with SpaceX. It was very exciting. 
Um, but I wanted to, to understand, you know, if this was, if there was really a there there. And so I started to pull together data on startup um, trends and investment activity, really to convince myself to determine for myself if this was something that I wanted to do with my career. To start a fund um, focused on, on space economy. And um, it's funny because I looked back and I was just doing that, looking back at some of those old charts, and there wasn't much of a trend line, but there was enough there to convince me that, you know, it looked like a lot of other nascent markets where the barriers to entry came down and in rushed this wave of entrepreneurship and innovation. And so I was comparing it to some of these other nascent um, uh, sectors and economies. And I was like, I, you know, this looks very, very similar. So, so for me, it was enough to convince me. And I used that information then, you know, I, 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 I pulled that information together in some charts and, and, and things and summarized it and used that to um, help convince some of my earliest LPs and investors that, you know, I was believing in this thing and you should believe in it too, because there's some early signs here that are pointing to, you know, an economy that's just beginning to open up. So that was kind of, you know, the, the basis of this report started way back in 2012, and um, it provided some really important insights to help us and our investors make sense of what was going on. And so that's kind of the genesis of this report. And um, it was, it started off in an Excel spreadsheet, as you can imagine, um, before we raised any money for our own firm or, 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 um, when we were just getting started. And so, um, so information is free and that's how, that was kind of the basis for, for our thought process and our thesis going forward. So it, it was a really valuable tool and um, we kept it to ourselves and our insiders and our own investors for many years. And then in 2017, we decided to publish it publicly um, and, and we started to produce these quarterly reports. And so um, now we've gone into a new evolution of this report. We have, you know, at the beginning of this year, um, we have broken the report out instead of just focusing on infrastructure, you know, satellites and launch, we are now focused on the infrastructure distribution and application layers of the space economy. So it's a much broader um, set of data. And over the course of, uh, of this year, we've pulled in all of that new data um, and, and really beefed up our database. So you've probably seen a few changes over the course of this year as we've gone through that process. Um, one of the ones is the one that you pointed out that in applications and distribution, well, so in, in infrastructure, it was clear 2009 was the turning point, um, the barrier century came down, and so we should be tracking from that period of time. So it's a nice, neat 10-year period. For distribution and applications, things opened up a few years earlier, and so um, particularly in distribution, and so um, our data went back to 2004. So there was a little bit of... of uh, uh, of misalignment of timelines in that regard, although it wasn't really material. Um, and so in this latest Q3 report, we really just tried to make it all uniform. And, and so all of the different, sub, you know, the layers, applications, distribution, and infrastructure are all on the same timescale of 2009. So you won't see a material difference, but it is a lot more uniform. All right. And I'll note for, for the audience that uh, in this report, you are now tracking 2,321 companies 
um, which is actually down from what you were tracking before, but you've now cataloged 3,533 uh, rounds as opposed to 2,543 previously, and you're now cataloging 311 exits as opposed to 248. So you certainly have... Um, uh, ramped up the the amount of data that that you've put into uh into your database so all right let's let i'm glad that we we had that quick uh introduction to the uh methodology and the changes because uh i think it's important for people to understand uh if they have some of the older reports that uh you know they see where you've been and where you're going in terms of the data with respect to the co, uh, the Q3 report, I mean, we could spend all day talking about this, but we've only got uh, about 25 minutes. So um, let's tackle one of the big things to start with. How has COVID-19 affected space startup and investments this year? Sure. And just one quick aside um, to your point earlier. So um, I think it's important to point out also that there's a lot of reports and a lot of people talking about, you know, there's, there's, you know, thousands of companies um, in the space economy. We're tracking 10,000, that sort of thing. For us, um, it's, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to be tracking everyone who happens to start a company, right? Um, there's a lot of slideware out there, people with PowerPoints and ideas that are, that'll never really get off the ground. For us, it's really important to track businesses, real businesses that have attracted capital. So um, we are tracking 1,128 unique space companies that have raised external equity capital, right? So that's an important distinction to say that they don't really hit our radar. We're tracking more companies than that, but that's not the important number is the number of companies that have raised investment. And that's really when they hit our radar and hit our report is is great to have an idea, but you're not necessarily a company um, until, you know, you've got until you're operating and, and our metric to, um, to confirm that is that they've convinced someone else that they have an idea and it raised some external capital. So um, kind of a little bit of a preference, uh, preference before I answer the question, which is uh, you asked about COVID and it's, um, this has been a really dynamic year um, in many, many regards. Um, with regards to the space economy and investment, um, it's been really interesting to see how it's played out over the year. So um, particularly in the infrastructure layer. So in Q1, um, uh, COVID uh, hit China earlier than, um, than the U.S. for sure. And so in Q1, we actually saw Chinese investment in infrastructure basically drop off to almost negligible. Um, and that's a big deal because China has been growing very rapidly over the last few years, their um, investment uh, into space companies, particularly infrastructure. They've been making up a larger percentage of the overall global pie. And in Q1, it basically dropped off. Um, and then in Q2, we started to see China start to come back online. Um, and some infrastructure deals getting done. Meanwhile, in the U.S., um, which is one of the, 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 the main drivers, particularly in infrastructure um, of, of private investment, is in the U.S., and, and we saw the U.S. basically drop off pretty steeply in Q2. Um, meanwhile, you know, China was starting to come back online and making some investments. So that was really interesting to see. 
And you saw, you know, there's a lot of industry commentators going out and saying that, you know, venture capital has dried up, um, you know, uh, that was a great run, you know, thanks to venture capital for playing in the space economy, you know, um, see you around. But that never really turned out to be the case. And in fact, um, while um, venture capital didn't put a lot of money to work in the infrastructure layer in, um, um, in Q2, they did rush to a lot of, of the of companies in the application space. So we saw a spike in, in investment in applications that rely on GPS for uh, delivery um, and, and remote, you know, enabling remote operations, so those types of applications. And so, um, but in Q3, it was very interesting to see how strongly um, investment came back, particularly in the infrastructure stack. So, um, Q2 was probably the slowest quarter on record. Not probably, it was the slowest quarter on record for infrastructure investment. And in Q3, the stack bounced back to pre-COVID levels. Um, and in fact, with just three quarters booked, we um, are already, 2020 is the largest year on record for infrastructure investment. There was $3.6 billion invested in Q3, and there's been $5.5 billion invested year to date. So, so quite the comeback. Okay. So we've had a comeback, and with that comeback, we're also seeing something new yet old. And let me explain this to our audience just a little bit. So I want to talk about special purpose acquisition companies, or SPOCs. They've been around since the 90s. Though it wasn't until around 2003 that they really started to emerge. And in the last five years, we've seen over 100, uh, 180 SPAC IPOs. Now, what does that mean for space? Well, Momentus, a space infrastructure company, is about to use a SPAC to go IPO. Um, so, for our audience, could you briefly define what a SPAC is? Uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, as an investment vehicle, and what is, and then, then the second question is, what does it mean for Momentus and for the broader space sector? Yeah, sure. So, um, as you said, SPACs have been around for a while now, and they're only um, uh, gained really a lot of notoriety in the last year. It's probably one of the biggest, uh, splashiest. Um, SPACs uh, that we've seen was Virgin Galactic. Um, Chamath at Social Capital took um, Virgin Galactic public. It's now listed on the New York Stock Exchange and did that to respect. Um, and so uh, notable investors uh, are able to uh, basically file all of the paperwork um, to create a public company. And that company doesn't have any operations, but it's listed on a stock exchange. And they will go out and raise money um, with the promise that, you know, invest in my SPAC um, and I will go and find a company to acquire and by, and, and by merging with this, um, uh, this, this company that I find, that I will take that company public, right? And that company is going to fit these certain criteria. I'm looking for companies, you know, that have this type of operation that fit this sort of this, this, this sort of criteria, and 
And so basically then the SPAC sponsor will go out and try to find that company um, that fits that criteria and is interesting to their investors. We'll bring it back. Um, the SPAC, you know, the underlying shareholders of the SPAC will vote on it and that company will, um, you know, once the merger is complete, that company will be a publicly traded company as Virgin Galactic is um, under the space ticker on the New York Stock Exchange. So, um, this is a SPAC is really um, just an alternative way to, to take a company public. And we've seen um, other alternatives come online um, this year as well. So, direct listings are also. Um, an interesting way to go public. And basically the idea is that um, going public the traditional way by working with an investment banker um, is an extremely expensive proposition. And there's some misaligned incentives and in that the investment banker may want, you know, um, it's in their interest to, um, to price it in a way in which they and their clients, you know, get to experience a lot of the upside um, before retail investors have a crack at it. So there are some negatives um, to the traditional IPO process. There's also some positives, right? The investment bank does a lot of work to market the company um, and to, uh, uh, you know, generate a lot of a, a lot of interest so that when retail investors do get access to it, you know, there's a lot of built-up demand um, and, and the stock might see a bump in price. So pros and cons, and there's pros and cons to direct listings and there's pros and cons to SPACs as well. They're not for everyone. Um, space companies make particularly compelling um, SPAC targets because um, one, it's, it's new. Um, again, like you said, you know, it's really over the last 10, even just five and, uh, years that, that, that space companies have become a real viable investment option. We know that, um, uh, retail investors uh, are very excited about participating in the space economy as investors, um, demonstrated by Virgin Galactic and the reception that it's had on the on the stock exchange, particularly for a company that's you know got some bookings but very little revenue and certainly no profit. Um, you know, it's it's losing fifty million dollars every quarter, but investors are still very excited about the prospect. So. Um, one of the things that I think your um, your listeners might be um, most interested in, and you know, kind of points to Momentus as well, is Momentus is an early company, um, and they're going um, planning to go public via SPAC uh, later this year, early next year. And um, one of the criticisms of the traditional IPO process is that that most of the time, by the time a company goes public. Um, the private investors have, the private markets have experienced all of the upside and you only go public once most of the growth has already happened and you've got stable revenue streams, right? Um, but that means, you know, more retail investors want to participate in the, in the earlier growth years of the companies and, and going back um, to the 90s again, you know, it was, it was common for companies to go public. Um, after they had raised $50, $100 million and they were still quite early, retail investors could then participate in like the, the exponential growth years, the early growth years of the company. So it'll be interesting to see you know, how the markets react to Momentus. Um, and because you know it is one of these early companies and it's got some interesting prospects. Um, and uh, we'll see 
you know, retail investors have been asking to participate earlier in companies' life cycles, and um, we've seen it play out with Virgin, and we'll see if it plays out with Momentus as well. Yeah, it's actually quite interesting because I've been tracking Virgin, and you know, as an investor, if you read their quarterly reports, um, you know, in my opinion, you'd be sort of cringing because, well, when you don't report any revenue and you're spending uh, a lot of money, um, you know, uh, doesn't equate into a, a good picture, in my opinion, but. That certainly hasn't uh, diminished the interest in its stock, and and the price has, uh, although yo-yoed, um, it's actually uh, done uh, pretty well. Um, and of course, you know everybody's betting on revenues down the road, so uh, it's very interesting. I, I uh, you know, to to use these, you know, this new type of in, or not new type of investment, but to use this investment vehicle f- um, for space companies, uh, and it'll be interesting to see. Who's next in line? All right. Now, I do think we're going to see more of them. That's for sure, Mark. I I, I can't disagree with you there. It, it it's uh, it's it's in tra- it's an attractive way of, of um, getting some uh, traction and momentum, especially at this time. I think because you know we're in quite uh, we're in a growth phase in, in the space sector, and there's a lot of companies that are. Um, trying to emerge and uh, you know if they can make the compelling a compelling story and uh, get somebody who owns a spot to, to, to take them on um, you know that can uh, quite literally catapult them uh, into a, a much better position now the other thing that your Q3 report that, that really jumped out at me was uh, China um, there are some major investments that are happening in China, uh, not just in the infrastructure, uh, but also in the application side of things. So, uh, you know, I, I, and I think in the infrastructure itself, there was just $350 million between two companies, Landspace and iSpace China. Um, uh, what does that say about the Chinese uh, marketplace? Let, let, let's start there. What, what's going on in China? Well, it's interesting, and that's why you know that's why I find this data so interesting. Allows us to ask really interesting questions. So, there's no doubt that China is a major player on the global stage with regards to the space economy. So, amongst the three different stacks, infrastructure, distribution, and applications, all up, there's been 166 billion dollars invested over the last 10 years into 1,100 space companies that we talked about earlier. Um, So the U.S. is the largest, um, uh, U.S. companies um, are are taking the majority of that capital. Um, So the U.S. accounts for 48%, but the next largest uh, country is China with 27%. So the U.S. has roughly a half, China has almost a third of global investment into space companies. So, um, and, and it tells a very different story in each of the stacks. So China, for example, is the largest um, uh, investor in distribution companies. Distribution is very, like it, it makes up a small percentage of the overall pie, but is it, a, it is a very important, critical piece of the technology stack in that um, 
you, you looking at it through the lens of GPS is probably the best way to explain this actually. So um, there was a lot of infrastructure investment into GPS um, by the government for the government and military purposes. Um, we had these, these satellites generating this very, very valuable space-based signal, um, but it did not proliferate. It wasn't, um, you know, consumers didn't have access to this, businesses didn't have access to this. It was really secured just for, for government and military use. It wasn't until companies like Trimble and Magellan and Garmin, people who understood how satellites worked, they were able to tap into that signal and harness that signal and make it really easily accessible to the tech community now, the tech community could tap into that signal. They didn't have to know anything about how the satellites worked or anything about, like, the regulations or, or anything about satellites. All they had to know was that if they tapped into this, um, you know, uh, into this into the signal, they would get Latin long. And it was this really valuable data that allowed them to build all of these different applications, right? So the distribution layer makes up a small piece of the overall space economy in terms of investment dollars, but an outsized impact, I would say. And so the fact that China has invested most heavily is the most heavily invested in that area um, says a lot. And also in the application space. So the United States makes up, you know, 45% of the application dollars, but China makes up 31%. So they make up a third of the application dollars, which is a much, much larger piece. So Applications for perspective is 134 billion of the 166 billion. So it makes up the lion's share of investment. And China is, is very, very active in this space. And it kind of goes to show that um, uh, in much the same way that a lot of developing countries are able to leapfrog technologies, right? Whereas Western countries, for example, or more developed countries, um, laid a lot of fiber optic lines and a lot of cable lines. Um, other countries that are developing are now going to be able to leapfrog and they're not going to have to undertake this really large infrastructure project because um, solutions like Starlink and others are coming online and they now have access to broadband internet. Um, and they didn't have to undertake this big infrastructure project. So kind of, it's it kind of got that same feel to me that, um, that some of that is happening here. Whereas China didn't have the space infrastructure um, in place. They're investing heavily in it now, but they sort of leapfrogged that infrastructure and tapped into the existing GPS and other infrastructures. They were able to get a foothold in the distribution and application stack, grow very significantly in those areas. And now they're going back in to fill in their own infrastructure. Um, for example, they've got their new, their own um, uh, uh, GNSS SatNav system that came online in June of this year. Um, but um, no, so China makes up, let's see, looks like 6% of total infrastructure investment over the last 10 years. Um, but really, they've only come online in the last, you know, since 2016. And so we've seen most of their investment come in in the last four years or so. So um, going back in and sort of uh, sort of filling in the gaps in infrastructure on their end um, so that they are a major player across all three technology stacks um, and, and solidifying their position as a leader in the space economy. Now, looking at the uh, the launch segment, um, how how do you see China 
positioning itself because there's a lot of startups and you know land space and iSpace China both like I said raised you know close to 350 million dollars how, how do they fit in the into the global launch ecosystem mm. well this is an interesting one it's a bit harder um, to answer so um, the they have Obviously, you know, some pretty serious launch capability um, on the medium, large, and heavy um, side. Uh, mostly, you know, large government um, projects. Their commercial companies, their venture-backed, you know, privately held equity finance companies like Landspace and iSpace um, are really small launch. So they've got you know, entrepreneurial ventures are taking on small launch and they're starting to grow. So, you know, of the couple of rounds that you mentioned that happened in Q3, you know, these were series B and series C rounds. So the companies have, have gone out and raised some capital. They are, um, they have done some, uh, had some successful, um, early, you know, test flights, um, but none of them have have reached orbit yet. So they're still trying to they're still trying to get to launching customer payloads. But um, I think you know in terms of the market and how this thing shakes out, um, SpaceX clearly dominates the um, the global market. Um, they have a price um, and a launch cadence that is unmatched, and so most satellites that want to get to orbit can ride on SpaceX. Um, and if you're a small satellite, you can launch through their rideshare program. Um, there's another option um, clearly on the table with regards to smaller satellites with Rocket Lab. And you can launch with Rocket Lab is more of a sort of white glove service um, that can provide you a lot of amenities um, that you wouldn't get on a SpaceX rocket. Um, and they'll take you exactly where you want to go and drop you off door to door. Um, SpaceX is a little bit more like a, 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 a Greyhound bus or a train, right? It's going in one direction. It's going to it's going to drop you off in this general vicinity, and you can get a ticket for pretty cheap. Um, so those are the two competing options that are on the market right now. With China, you know, if when when these small launch vehicles start to come online, and we've already seen it with some of their their larger rockets, there is um, some advantages. Um, for being local um, and being uh, having close proximity to your customers, so um, we have seen, you know, with with the difficulty of getting to orbit and with the few, you know, options that are on the table, um, some companies have gone um, uh, to China just. To, to, in order to get a ride, um, others are, um, are 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 launching with China because they're able to, you know, because they're close by and it makes it easy for them to do so. Um, there's also some perks and things and, and reasons for um, for why local um, uh, companies would want to launch with China. But um, I do think that there are some advantages for. Um, uh, clearly for having more launch vehicles come online, having more options for people to get to orbit, and also for um, having a launch vehicle close to um, satellite manufacturers um, just for efficiency in terms of logistics. Well, 
I could keep going with my questions, but our time is up today. Um, definitely going to have to uh, get you uh, back on the podcast in the future. Uh, maybe even not just for quarterly reports, but I- I'm interested in talking about some specific areas as well. Anyway, Chad, thank you very much for your time and we'll definitely get you back soon. Thanks, Mark. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. We're going to make Chad a recurring guest, at least quarterly, to talk about changes in the space economy. As always, if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash spaceq. And if you want to send us your feedback, your thoughts on the episodes, who you think we should have as a guest in the future, anything, send your comments to podcast at spaceq.ca. Listen in next time.